What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Friday, July 26, 2019. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. I am joined by my lovely co-host, Natalie Zamudio. What up, Gabriel? Happy Friday. I hope you have a great weekend planned. We got some fights coming up, so I'm excited. I do. It is filled with MMA. It is filled with making money. So that is like two of my favorite (laughs) things of all time. Let me tell you right now. But what about you? How are you feeling this week? Yeah, pretty good. Not too bad. I'm uh I'm I'm excited about the you know, the main event and the co main, but it's still a little bit of a tough pill to swallow for uh to shell out another pay per view uh, in July. But you know what? It is what it is. <laughs> As Max Holloway would say. Yeah. You know what? It's a weird feeling, isn't it? Because I think uh, Very bluntly, I think that we'd be a little more excited if we maybe had to wait a little longer. Um, I think that that's the thing is that with the pay-per-views, one a month, right? And so usually it's like, oh, you know, the next big one rolls around. I feel like a lot of people are still like, well, it was just 4th of July. It's just, um, and the UC has had this problem. Every card right after the big 4th of July pay-per-view always seems to... No matter what main event, it almost always feels like a bit of a bomb, right? I mean, I think they had it years ago with, like, um, they had the 4th of July. Then they had, like, in August, the Connor-Nate Diaz rematch, which was crazy. And then they schedule one pay-per-view in the middle of that, and it's like, dude, you know, like, how are you going to do that to these people? You know, it's, people are, everybody feels like they almost want to skip it. So it's tough yeah, because... Yeah, it's like when, when, you have to, when you have to ask yourself, is it worth it, then, you you know, the UFC should probably ask themselves the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, look, I, I know schedule and all that, and they have so many paper... They have so many champions, so many pay-per-views, and we even discussed it that you got uh, Valentina and just Gondraj, you know, being relegated to ESPN, ESPN+. Plus. So it is a weird thing, but I, I think the you've got to really look at it. You have a great main event. You have obviously a lot of interest in Chris Cyborg. So it is still one to watch. There's going to be a lot of major implications moving forward off of this event. And I think that that says something, but we can't talk about that yet. We've got a lot more show to get into. We need to turn back the clock a little bit to last Saturday on ESPN, Rafael Dos Anjos, Leon Edwards, uh, Natalie, um, what's the easiest way to say it? They were making a lot of jokes about Leon Edwards as the Tim Duncan of MMA. He's not too flashy, but just the fundamentals. I love that comparison because I really think that that's how he got the job done against Dos Anjos. Dos Anjos was fighting great. I think that Leon Edwards just got enough of the right positions hit him enough times, got enough of the good spots, and that just really led to him outpointing Dos Anjos. Yeah, it was uh, it was very interesting to fight to uh, interesting fight to watch. So, I when we talked last week, I said this is not going to be the most exciting fight. I stand by that. However, you know, it was a very technical fight, an entertaining fight in that respect. I'm not trying to knock it. I don't need to see, you know, brawled every time, but um, it was a methodical performance by Leon Edwards. He stayed the course through five rounds. He used his range, you know, and they were making contact. They were going back and forth the whole time. Edwards just always had the edge. So good showing for Leon Edwards because Dos Anjos is, is a hard guy to to neutralize, especially so consistently through five rounds. So good show for him, but, you know, I'm still not, like, walking away from that fight thinking, I can't wait to see what Leon Edwards has next. I was going to say, it didn't knock your socks off, your shoes stayed on, they stayed laced up. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I stayed fully clothed at the end of that. (laughs) Well, I would hope so, Natalie. I mean, we don't want you getting too excited over MMA now. Yeah, I know. It's not like it was Leoto Machida or anything. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's get back on track. Um, Look, I mean, very methodical. Let's be honest. If he had gone out there just straight beat down, knock out Dos Anjos in like three minutes or something, we'd probably be saying, well, hey, you know, suddenly him and the three-piece Minnesota rematch is more interesting. He did not 
have that level of performance, but I believe that is victory eight in a row for Leon. And the rankings, you know, they kind of did, did him dirty a little bit. I feel like, you know, him, uh, there's Zaleski Dos Santos, uh, Ponzinibbio. I know that they haven't fought the top of the top. They haven't fought the Woodleys, Kamaru Usmans, the Colby Covingtons. They don't have those wins on their record. So getting them on the rankings in terms of numbers to have those like two, three, and four spots, I get why that hasn't happened. But when you're on these win streaks, I really am surprised that they're not getting talked about with a little more hype. I think that Leon Edwards is officially the first guy to have that breakthrough with the win over Dos Anjos. And to me, I really think that he sets up a very interesting fight going forward. I think that when you look at the division, you got to think about, well, one of the guys coming up, like we'll talk about next week, uh, with Colby Covington, Robbie Lawler, or the, you know, Jorge Masvidal, maybe Ben Askren coming off a loss. Suddenly, you know, I think Leon Edwards is targeting one of these guys in a title eliminator next. I think it really depends on the schedule, and I think it depends on who's going to be the odd man out. But if you ask me, he's, there's nowhere else that would be a step forward besides those guys. I think pairing him up with anybody else in the middle of the division, like a Wonder Boy or someone like that, would be a step back. So I think that should be his next target is one of those three guys, whoever doesn't get Usman. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, he'll probably have to stay a little patient in order to make sure that happens because because I still feel there's there's not a whole lot of excitement around him, but he's, he's an excellent fighter. So I'm not trying to take anything away from him. It's just that there's a next level of entertainment quality um, and the opponents that are ahead of him on the rankings. So it's competing in two respects, right? You know, just skill and, you know, mic. Uh, like, you know, skill in the, in the cage and skill on the mic. And so um, not that that's what we have, what, you know, I'm not saying that's all I want to see, but it, in this division I think it matters a little bit more when you've got big talkers like Colby, Mazadal's not a big talker, but he'll shut you down. He'll, you know, he's he's quick with the words, and even like someone like Till um, and Tyron Woodley, like they're still respectful dudes, but they can they can handle themselves on the mic too. So it's because um, there's a lot of depth in the division, is what you're saying. For sure, man. For yeah. sure. Uh, and in those both respects, right? So yeah. he's got to he's got to find a way to pop a little more, and and uh, I don't think the performance against Los Angeles did it. Um, I don't think that was enough, right? Like, yes, if you're just a straight martial arts MMA fan, excellent. He did great. He was so skillful. But I don't know if it's enough to compete. So we'll see. Uh, I think that for me, uh, and I think uh, what I get what you're saying is that um, when you have a division with this many guys, it, you really got to do something special to stand out. And if you don't have a flashy performance, you got to talk up a little bit, you know, maybe get that interest if you're not necessarily the flashiest fighter. And I think that that's what we're seeing. And I think, you know, it's very tough because obviously you don't want it to be, you know, that's not what it's supposed to be all about, right? But, um, no, it is. He's in a division with a lot of guys, with a lot of movement, with a lot of – I mean, look, we just talked about it. He's on a seven, eight-fight win streak. That's insane. you got two other guys not even in the top five who are on the same kind of track. That is a testament to the division. So, you know, you do, I think, need a little more to stand out because there's so many guys who it's like, you know, Ponzinibbio's knocking dudes out and, you know, so-and-so. You've got to do a little bit more, I think, if you want to say that, hey, I, it's not just by the numbers. I am the guy the fans should want to see fight. So definitely a lot going on there. But, yeah, you know, another good night in San Antonio. I always say this. San Antonio is a lovely city. I love the people over there when I covered fights. So I was, I was a little gel. I was a little salty that they got to enjoy that. But, you know, next time. There is a lot of movement going on in the MMA world, and ironically today they announced like a bunch of little stuff, which I found, you know, is just a little perturbed because we already had the show <laughs> set, so we'll probably touch on a few of those on next week's show. Um, the big story I know that everyone is kind of circulating is the John Jones stuff, 
Natalie, I don't want to really talk about it because very bluntly, when you talk about the allegations that are being made against him, I feel like there's something that's missing when it's taken four or five months for them to even book him and get the warrant out and all of this stuff, right? So, look, I know what everyone's thinking. It's John Jones, blah, blah, blah. Before we go in-depth and, you know, I don't want to say past judgment, before we really talk about, you know, the risks and implications and everything else, I feel like I want to see another side to the story. So I feel like we might want to leave that one until the next part of it comes out. But did you have anything you wanted to mention before we get into the show? I, I agree with you. There's, you know, not not enough information. Um, I will just say that, you know, and this is not new um, commentary on John Jones, but there's always some kind of bad news around him, right? There's always something. So in... And seeing the headlines, I was like, well, not surprised. You know, I I think of all these other fighters that were not, I mean, it's just, it's just like, okay, well, this is the guy that always has this stuff happen to him, and you got to ask why. And, and I guess I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think that, um, like I said, it just let's see what else. I, I noticed, you know, when Dana White was asked about it, he had that very unsurprised expression, which I felt, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of feel like if you want the boss to have your back, that maybe wasn't the best expression of it. But, you know, once again, a sign of the times, right? But, yeah, you know, until they say anything, you know, I don't. I don't feel like it needs to be added on. What's next? What do they do? What's going on with them? But, um, yeah, I think that this is, you know, there's another side to be had before, you know, with everything definitely here. But we do have some other fights. We have some stuff we can go in-depth on. One is a very key light heavyweight matchup. Former middleweight champion Chris Weidman is officially going to be making his light heavyweight debut. He had talked about it earlier this year, but he is getting matched up with Dominic Reyes, the undefeated 11-0 light heavyweight who a lot of people think is next, for, who would be next for John Jones. Uh, this one is happening at UFC Boston on October 18th. Reyes fought in March where he had that split decision with Volkan Uzdemir. Weidman is still making his comeback after fighting in November against Jacare in that fun one. Natalie, what are your thoughts on the fight itself? Because this is a very interesting matchup for Weidman to make his debut against that light heavyweight, in my opinion. It is as interesting as, as, you know, is an understatement, I think, because this is such a, to me, it's such a tough matchup. And I'm wondering, what is the UFC thinking about their, you know, their middleweights going up to light heavyweight. We saw Luke Rockhold uh, not look so great in his, his debut at 205. I'm a little worried for Chris Weidman just because, not because he doesn't have the skills to back it up. He looked excellent against Jacare and then, you know, got caught in the end. But before that, he was looking so good. He was piecing him up. He was going to take the, take the fight on the judges' scorecards for sure. So, I uh, I just wish that when they have a fighter move up in weight, you know, not necessarily softballs, but you don't have to go right to the top of the of the list here because it, I think it takes a a fight or maybe even two fights to really process to understand how your body is going to operate at this new weight class. Like even though you're training at a higher weight and you're sparring at a higher weight in preparation. I think it's a different story. It's a different animal when you get in there. The adrenaline's different. So I would have liked to see him have a little bit of an easier go as far as debuts. Um, but we certainly have a heck of a fight. I mean, Dominic Reyes is going to have a lot to, I guess, a lot to prove because Chris Lyman's a former champ. He was, as we talked about a few weeks ago, you know, next uh, in line or rightful, you know, heir to the, to the contender spot against John Jones. This delays that a little bit, but I guess it's because Jones doesn't want to fight until December, so Dominic Reyes didn't want to wait. That would be my guess. Chris Weidman's a big name. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's really the pressure's on Reyes here because if he loses, there goes his shot at the title. Chris Weidman, if he loses, you know, we can just say, well, he still has, you know, his first time at 205, let's give him a second to warm up. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of it. I feel like with Weidman, um, look, we know his pedigree as a former champion, and he did look good against uh, Jacare leading up to that finish. I guess my thing is that, you know, quite bluntly, he's been a little inconsistent over the years. And I know part of that, you know, look, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. He hasn't been, you know, the most active fighter per se. And so all of that, you know, I agree with you. When you talk about, okay, for your light heavyweight debut, you're going to be taking on Dominic Reyes. It's like, man, just throw him into the deep end of the pool there. Now, look, uh, and I agree with this a lot. There are no gimmies in the UFC. If you're there to fight, you're there to fight the best guys possible. That being said, I feel like, you know, to compare him to another person, I almost feel like that's doubling down the way Aaron Pico did, taking a fight with Adam Borix rather than someone else coming off such a bad loss. Like, look, yes, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of ability in Chris Weidman. But you're talking about a guy who I think really, really does need to have a very successful debut in order to re-inject a bit of momentum in his, into his career. Now, I have heard this said about Chris Weidman, and I agree. He was so instrumental to getting... Um, UFC legal, you know, MMA legalized in New York, that if he were to lose eight in a row, UFC still wouldn't cut him. I have heard that, and when I look at the situation, I do agree. That being said, like you said, this is a very tough stylistic matchup. Dominic Reyes is a very long guy. He's a very capable guy. I think that this one, it's really going to be a test, like, hey, you know, fight someone with a different style, the wrestling, the ground game of Chris Weidman. But once again, when you talk about the weight and everything, how much has Chris Weidman been working on being a light heavyweight? How much is it just him not cutting weight? And if I'm being honest, Natalie, I almost want to ask, why is he moving up? Is it because he feels like, you know, he needs to re-inject that momentum into his career um, and he feels like going up to 205 helps? Or is it because he's really, really struggling making 185 after, you know, he's getting a little older? He's always been big for the weight class. And, you know, similar to Rockhold, is it just getting tougher for him to do it? That's something I think I would really want him to address and really get him to talk a little more about because I think that would say a lot about the move. But look, also, he asked for the fight. They're already going back and forth a little bit. I think that that's a good sign. It's a sign of a good fight. And... If I'm not mistaken, they're the headliner also. So I think big opportunity for Dominic Ray is there to really make a statement. The elephant in the room, I want to pass it back to you. If Dominic Reyes is booked, what does this say about what could be next for John Jones? Because obviously in about three weeks or so, yes, Daniel Cormier is fighting Stipe. Could, he, could we see the rematch at DC wins? That is obviously on the table. Let's say that doesn't happen. What do you think is actually going to happen with the light heavyweight title now? That's a tough one. It's a tough one, man, because, yeah, DC would be, at the way they've, they've cornered themselves with, with booking Reyes in October, DC would be the, uh, the choice for December if Jones really does come back. And, um, or I should say if that's really when he wants to fight and he's good to fight. I'm looking at the, the rankings, and, yeah, I mean, there's – Nobody else of interest um, after Dominic Reyes for various reasons. Gustafson obviously retired or at least temporarily retired. Uh, Jan, you know, if he's ready, that could be that could be just you know let's throw Jan in there because of how he um, looked against Rockhold. Um, I'm not excited about Corey Anderson. I always go back to my man Johnny Walker though in the number 12 spot. Um, not deserved as far as rankings go, but certainly deserved as far as performance and personality. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't be mad at that, even though it seems a little crazy putting your number 12 guy against the number uh, against your champion. Yeah, uh, to me, I really feel like um, with uh, Corey Anderson and Johnny Walker, they just need some big fights. Arguably, they need to fight each other, if you ask me, but... um. It's just about, look, for so long there's been that bottleneck up at the top. Nobody could get past uh, Rumble and Gustafson and John Jones, etc. Now that there's a little more parity, now that it seems feels a little more wide open, um, it's, very, you know, it's very interesting that you have these guys still on the upswing, but they're not quite there yet. Um, 
I think that uh, looking at the rankings, Jan Blahovich makes the most sense if there's not going to be a Daniel Cormier trilogy this year. And a lot of that, you know, look, just timing, health, etc. If you ask me, Dominic Reyes makes a lot of sense, but it goes back to the fact that he's fighting in October. You've got to hope that, one, he has a very safe and injury-free training camp, then he has to have an injury-free fight if he's going to make a quick turnaround to fight Jones in December. That is a lot of what-ifs to really be confident in that. So I think that unless this is a sign that they're looking to do the DC trilogy, if possible, what's going to happen is I think you're going to have Jan Blahovich and, quite frankly, Dominic Reyes. He's going to have to have a good performance against Weidman or even possibly one more. And by that time, you've given Johnny Walker, Corey Anderson, enough, you know, there's also Rakic out there. You've given these guys a little more time to build themselves up and maybe make the jump by the time John Jones is ready to defend against one of those guys in particular. So, yeah, I think it comes down to the timing, but – I would say Dominic Reyes being booked is almost like that writing on the wall that they are hoping they do the DC trilogy in December, um, not the New Year's Eve, but the late December pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly looking like one of the more clear possibilities uh, at this point, or likely possibilities, I guess. I mean, uh, also you got to make sure these guys stay healthy. I mean, knock on wood, we haven't really had a champion or anybody just, you know, trip wrong and hurt something. For the most part, everybody has stayed healthy and active, which I love. This is a great time to be an MMA fan, if you ask me. But it is, you know, one of those things It's like, hey, guys, let's, let's not push our luck. Everybody take your time between fights. Let's do everything correctly. But, um, yeah, so that one, uh, October 18th, that one's going to be an interesting one. Um, I am interested to see if they book someone else by that time. I know Johnny Walker wants to come back, Corey Anderson. So it's already going to be August next week. Let's see where these guys end up on the calendar. Moving on, Nick Newell, the, uh, the notorious Nick Newell, not quite Connor, but definitely a very notable guy in the world of MMA, signs a one-fight deal with Bellator. He is going to be fighting Corey Browning in his home state of Connecticut on August 24th. I know they announced a couple more fights for the undercard on that one. Um, if you haven't, if you don't recognize Nick Newell's name, you definitely have seen him and heard um, uh, have heard about him. He is the one arm, you know, congenital, congenital amputee. Last year, he made a lot of noise for the Contender Series and he, wanting his opportunity. I want to say he's about 12 and 2, 13 and 2. His only losses were on Contender Series and Justin Gaethje. He had a bit of a layoff um, to start his new family, but he is coming off a victory at CES on Fight Pass earlier this year. And, yeah, Natalie, so the thing about him is that every time he fights, um, and I don't like to beat a dead horse, we know how notable and inspiring it is to see him out there pursuing his passion. He definitely reminds everybody how much the power of belief and, you know, passion, when you have passion for what you want to do, exactly the things that you are capable of. So, you know, I, I know that we all recognize that. But what do you think about him signing the Bellator deal? Because I almost feel like, you know, one fight, are they waiting to see how he performs? Or is he still holding the door open for possibly going to UFC, which I personally think is just his end goal at the end of the day? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Whose idea was it? Like, who pushed for the one fight more? Which side, right? Bellator or Nick Newell? Uh, I think it's smart for, for Bellator to... And and they've always been very um, strategic with their local bookings for you know whatever location they're in. So this makes perfect sense. He's he's uh, he he brings in folks. He brings he sells tickets in Connecticut, in his home state. Um, but yeah, you think that if he's a, you think that he's a big enough name that Bellator would give him a two or three fight deal. Um, you know what's the harm in it? He's uh he's talented and you 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 lay out his record that's an impressive record right only losing two out of out of fifteen and one was Justin Gaethje and considering all the um all the disadvantages that he has I mean he would probably disagree at this point but it's still a disadvantage also there are advantages because 
I think it throws fighters off to not have uh, to only have that one contact point with their opponent and to not really know how to defend when they're in that like a grappling position. It's it's probably a little bit tricky for both for both sides. But in any case, um, yeah, he's been pretty vocal about wanting UFC as his end goal. Um, but but Bellator is to me right now just as just as a, a big um, uh, like an achievement, right? Like if I'm an MMA fighter and I get signed by Bellator, I'm happy to just ride that all the way to the end, you know, of my career because they're doing really big things. They have great fighters, you know, crossovers from UFC talent that they've built up in their own roster from you know young guys to to stars. So. I don't know if we'll find out whose idea it was, but it is very interesting that it's just a one-fight deal. I I wonder, man, uh, you know, if he loses, what does that mean for him? It, it hurts him probably with just staying with Bellator, and then I think that would pretty much close the door for him at, at UFC. What do you think there? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely tough because the big – elephant in the room and it always sounds pessimistic to say but when he loses it does look like he shouldn't be out there right and that's very unfortunate but that is you know outside looking in the perception comes out right we we all get that it it sucks to even say that because i don't like saying it just right here right now but i understand what it looks like from the outside right um i think that you're not wrong It, it does hurt his stock in terms of that what I can only imagine is that it's a two-parter on negotiation. Let's say he thinks he's worth X amount of dollars. Bellator, you know, says, well, let's maybe this amount, etc." Well, he'll be like, hey, how about this? I don't want to commit to a multi-fight deal. How about I go out there, sell tickets, kick some butt, put on a show, and then we re- then we have that discussion again about another multi-fight deal. I think that Roger Huerta did that uh, this year, last year, with um, his fight with Benson Henderson. That could be something. And then, of course, it serves that twofold um, uh, purpose that, hey, let's say he puts on a show, UFC is interested, it's still open. He's not necessarily tied down. So I do think that that could be why we see that. And, of course, you know, once again, I always say this, that when when they talk about the criticism of him is that, look, you know, if he's fighting and winning and, you know, just because, you know, he has one arm doesn't mean don't give him a shot. Very bluntly, even if you don't think he's a UFC champion, there are plenty of fighters on the UFC roster who you do not think are ever going to be UFC champion. But so just because, you know, X, Y, Z, if he – fights and he's winning that's not a reason to keep him out if he loses and he gets cut then you do what you do that happens every day but there's not a reason to not sign him just off of that you know what i mean so yeah i think that is the biggest thing about nick newell and look once again um i know that they had asked scott coker about it because he's a connecticut guy and i'm sure that had a big uh part to play um the fact that he's on the prelims also says a lot now, that is twofold because there have been a lot of great fighters who fight on the prelims of Bellator cards, um, but the fact that he is being strategically placed there I think might send, might be a little part of the message too. So that's very interesting. And also, Natalie, this is only about a month away, so we are going to be able to see him and reevaluate his performance in a few weeks. But for now, very interesting. It's always good to see him being active because he is one of those feel-good stories in mixed martial arts. And win or lose, I think a lot of people do take strength and they want to see him do well, which is a very cool thing to see from the MMA community coming together for one person. And that's always beautiful if you ask me. Yeah, man. Yeah, so moving on, once again, that one is August 24th. He is fighting Corey Browning. Um, so that obviously coming up, like I said, they announced a few other ones. I think the main event is the Mitrion Karatanov rematch. That one, crazy one. It ended in like 30 seconds off a low blow. It was so disappointing for a main event, but um, oh, they're bringing it back, right. and I think they're yeah, they're uh-huh. bringing it back right to the same venue, if I'm not mistaken. So works out nicely there. 
But moving on, we are getting on the plane. We're making our way back to Canada. Let's start with the co-main event, and then we'll um, move on to, you know, the main course. Chris Cyborg versus Felicia Spencer. Um, Let's not talk about what's next, free agency. Let's talk about the fight. What does Felicia Spencer have to do to pull off an epic upset on Chris Cyborg? She's got to find a way to take her down, you know, and and, – I can't remember the last time we've seen Chris Cyborg like really fight with someone on the ground. Um, Tanya Avenger maybe, but she kind of was just like punching her from from above, like not actually grappling. So Felicia Spencer definitely has, I would say, has the advantage there in that in that respect. But Chris Cyborg has a lot to prove. Um, she wants redemption. She wants to solidify her name, like you know remind everybody that she's she's the uh the badass of women's mma so a lot's on the line for cyborg if felicia loses oh well you know it's cyborg so it's okay and she's new to the ufc the division is small not the end of the world way more pressure on cyborg i will say uh you know the weight cut is always worrisome when it comes to her to chris cyborg but watching this morning she actually looked okay she she was she she looked in fine spirits her body looked okay, a little drawn, but not too bad. I think she's looked worse before. She came in at 146, a little bit of nervous uh, energy in the room because it took them a while to get the reading. So that's encouraging. But, uh, man, I really am very curious to see how Chris Cyborg is going to play this, especially from a mental perspective. How patient is she going to be? Um, and... Um, yeah, what's her ground game look like? How, how, how well can she defend against Felicia Spencer? I feel like we haven't seen, even though we know Felicia Spencer has this amazing pedigree on the ground, we haven't seen a lot of it in the UFC, right? This is only her second fight. Uh, so, I don't know, man. It's, a, it's up in the air for me. It really is. It's hard to, uh, to say because it really depends for me on Chris Cyborg's psyche. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I want to point out it is not like completely out of the question we've seen um recently Rafael Lovato Jr. taking out Gegard Mousasi very similar in terms of pedigree and record if you ask me and then even the one I always point to this one when you watched the Cody Garbrandt Dominic Cruz fight and you watched there was no reason Cody should have won that fight I could tell you that Dominic Cruz mentally had already defeated uh, Cody Garbrandt and Cody goes out there and has that crazy fight, just fights so much above what we thought he was capable of to take out a guy as so experienced and great as Dominic, who fought well too. Um, Felicia Spencer, very capable, undefeated, um, a lot of experience in Invicta. She's always kind of been in the deep end of the pool in terms of uh, her career. I think the thing about it is, yeah, it is Chris Cyborg. You got to do a lot. You got to execute a lot of things well if you don't have the firepower like Amanda Nunes does. So I think that for Felicia, you definitely got to clinch up. You definitely have to try to do. You got to just get those good positions, and you just got to hold on to them and wear her down. I don't think that she wins in a firefight in the middle of the octagon, even though she looks like she's a very competent striker herself. I think the key. Calf kicks, try to cut away a little bit of that gas tank. But the biggest thing is clinch and takedown. You really have to get going from the beginning. Remember, it's a 15-minute fight, not 25. So you can't, worry. you can't be thinking, hey, I'm about to take her into the championship rounds. You really have to do your work early and try to get yourself an uh, early lead on the scorecards. Now, once again, very capable grappler. I think that Chris's biggest strength is that she knows a lot of girls are trying to take her down. She's very effective and efficient at, you know, minimizing damage and working her way back to the feet. I think that if you're Spencer, you want to try to get her to either overcommit or you want to just try to clinch all day, plain and simple. Just clinch all day, try to slow down Cyborg that way. Um, because, uh, once again, I think that Cyborg just has a number in the middle of the octagon. So that's going to be the two biggest keys. If you're Chris Cyborg... You lose to Amanda like that, I think that you are a little more careful. That being said, her physicality is why she is a legend. I think she should still continue to fight like that, hands up a little higher, 
picked your spots a little better. But for the most part, you're pushing forward. You're trying to make Felicia Spencer feel your presence, and I think that she breaks her down that way. So I'm going to go Chris Cyborg for the win. I think that Felicia, uh, stylistically, I think just isn't the best matchup because I think Chris Cyborg's going to be able to avoid the takedowns and get her spots on the feet. Yeah, man, I like it. I'm rooting for Chris. That's that's my heart pick, and I guess it's also my brain pick. Um, Felicia has, like, this really great, like, youthful energy. Like, um, I keep saying like, but it's it's the way a child who doesn't know enough about the world, like, they just have a fearlessness about them, and that's sort of what, what Felicia Spencer um, exudes to me. So, Do you think the fight uh, game just he, hasn't hardened her yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And so we'll see what, what facing Chris Cyborg in the cage, how she responds. Uh, she's she's a killer, though. She, she's got that fighting spirit. And watching a little bit of her open workout, yeah, she's got some kicks. She has some, some strikes, some, you know, some, some uh, nice tools in her striking arsenal there. Uh, and I had this thought. I was like, what if she gets Cyborg with a head kick? Wouldn't that be something? Oh, my gosh. But, um Probably not. I do have a question for you, though. Is sure. is Chris Cyborg still with Jason Perillo? Do you know? So she said that she did her training camp in South Africa with uh, Don Madge and his team, if I'm not mistaken. But Jason Perillo will be in her corner, and she says that she and Jason talked it out and said that she just knew what she was looking for for her team, for her camp, and said that they were cool. He's cornering her, but she did all her prep um, she trained a bit in California, but then finished camp in South Africa. That's that's uh, that's wild because I, I think it was on the embedded or something where she's talking about I just came back from South Africa and I was like what? <laughs> well, I, I hadn't watched any of her interviews yet. That's very interesting. Uh, that's I don't know if she's done that before, but that's a big change I would say, especially a lot of traveling in the last uh, you know lead up to the fight, the last week of your fight. So hopefully she got what she needed. Uh, but like I said, she looked great at the weigh-in, and um, that's not usual for her. I think it's the mental effect. I think that when you've been in the game as long as Cyborg, whatever makes you feel good mentally is something you don't want to shy away from. And if she felt like more reinvigorated, training with a few people late in the game compared to you know maybe going over what she always does with Jason. I mean, if that helps a legend like Chris Cyborg, I think it's a good thing. I do want to circle back to the Felicia Spencer conversation. She on Embedded has become a bit of a breakout star. Um, I was watching one of the other episodes today, and she has that moment. She's talking like she's receiving a message, and, you know, she says, like, well, my friend sent me a thing saying, hey, Felicia, do you know that you're on this foot fetish website? And then she, like, says to the, her friends on Embedded, it's like, how do you know I'm on that website? Yeah. You know, like, excuse me, you know. I, I was rolling when I saw that because I was like, I would ask the same thing. Um, I think that they are promoting her well. I do want to point out that if Felicia pulls off the upset, that that is a very big feather in her cap to getting a shot in a big fight against Amanda Nunes which raises the elephant in the room. We've talked about it every week, so we're not going to go too far in-depth. Is this Chris Cyborg's last UFC fight? Um, very bluntly, I am going to say uh, I was more confident in saying um, yes before. I do think it's still up in the air, but I think at the end of the day, there's just so much on the free agency market that I don't know if I'm still confident in Chris Cyborg staying, even though I do think they want to have a big money fight, the rematch with Amanda Nunes, which is easily one of the biggest fights in all of MMA. You could argue it's bigger competitively than John Jones, Daniel Cormier. I just feel like there's a little bit too much that has been done. Um, we know that she and Dana White are not seeing eye to eye. Um, but yeah, very bluntly, I do think that she need once again, very important. She needs to win in order to have all that value. She does. If it's a Nunes rematch, if it's about signing a major contract with Bellator, with one, with Ryzen, she does have to do that stuff. So that is my thing though. I, I'm less confident than I was before, but I'm leaning toward, yes, this might be the octagon finale for Chris Cyborg. What about you? 
Yeah, I uh, I think that there's no way that that the UFC will be willing to pay her as much as a Bellator or a One Will. And I go back to you know broken record, the respect angle. She's gonna find that with somebody else. She's gonna sit down with Scott Coker or um, Chachri or even uh, Saki Kibara. Uh, or even somebody at the PFL, and she'll try and find instantly that she's more respected at the table. So um, money and respect, and then wherever she feels is the best place to cement her legacy. Again, I think that's one of the more important things for her. She knows it's the, uh, you know, the sun is setting on her career, but she's still a threat. She's still a huge name. And, yeah, my confidence on her staying at, at UFC is like 60, 40, you know, 40% that she'll stay at the UFC. Um, That's about and, and where I'm course, at with my number two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. which I'd like to point out, I want that Amanda Nunes rematch. Oh, There's so two dominant forces. I think the fact that Amanda already got the win makes the rematch even so much more compelling. Um Man, I, look, I know, look, I, you got to do what you got to do for yourself, but just as a fan, just for what do I want to see play out on television, man, I hope that, that that fight were to happen because I do think it's going to be a very long time before you ever get a fight like that again in women's MMA um, and arguably, you know, in the men's side too. I mean, you're talking about a decade of dominance against arguably the best ever. It's really crazy, so... Yeah, there's Definitely. no more exciting matchup for, for Chris Cyborg than Amanda Nunes. Like, anyone else is going to be interesting and challenging, but nothing will create as much hype as a rematch with uh, with Nunes. Yeah, and of course, next week we'll know uh, how does she look, does she win, does Felicia Spencer get it, and looks good enough to really make you more interested in a Nunes fight than a Jermaine Durandamy rematch. All of that we obviously will find out Saturday night. Moving on, there is the big, big, big main event, Max Holloway taking on Frankie Edgar. This one is very interesting stylistically because Frankie, I always describe him, he's like your favorite flavor ice cream. Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter where you get it from, you know what you're going to get and you know it's going to be good. That being said, Max Holloway at 145 is so dangerous. At 155, he's not even bad, but at 145, he's very powerful. His shots do a lot of damage, and we've already seen the height and reach. We know what the mountain is for Frankie Edgar to climb. Natalie, what are your thoughts on the fight? I still keep getting blown away by the height difference between these guys when they face me off. Me too. It kind of makes me, yeah, it makes me chuckle a little bit. Frankie just stares up at him, you know, with these intense eyes. I, you know, Frankie, I like him. Uh, he's a, an excellent striker, grappler. But I, I feel he has always, he has for, the, for a while now just kind of looked like the same type of fighter. Max Holloway has evolved, and, and perhaps that's just because of how his, because, it, you know, his career played out more in front of um, the UFC uh, eyes than, than Frankie Edgars, who came from, um, uh, did he come from WC before I put my foot in my mouth? Who, Max or Frankie? No, Frankie. Uh, no, he was always UFC. He was always UFC, so I'm just going to shut up. In any case, I feel like Max has evolved more than Frankie Edgar. So it was shocking to see Max mm, be sort of neutralized a little bit against Dustin Poirier, but I really do chalk that up to just not having enough experience at that weight class. He needs to just warm up a little bit there. I certainly expect that when he decides to fully move up there, he'll be a major threat. Uh, it's just he just didn't have the, the bulk. He didn't have the muscle that he needed for his punches to make an impact. That being said, he's not a knockout puncher. Um, at 145, he's a volume guy, but he's so slick. He's so accurate. He's relentless, you know, the cardio. But Frankie Edgar has cardio, too, cardio for days. He's bouncing around like a crazy man. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys adjust to the height differences. I would say... Max has experience with shorter guys more than maybe Frankie has with guys of, of Max's height. That's because Max is always Max. the tallest one. <laughs> He's always the tallest one, yeah. I'm, still, I'm picking Max. I think he'll just finish him with volume. He'll overwhelm him with the volume. 
maybe third round, fourth round. But I actually am excited. It's going to be a competitive matchup. I think they're going to be going back and forth quite a bit. But I suspect it will take Frankie a little bit longer to find his range to figure out where he needs to be to actually land than obviously for Max, who can just stretch out his arm like Dalsam and, and, you know, slap a face if he wants to. Yeah, I was going to say, I, what's ironic, I think he was even slightly taller than Dustin Poirier in their fight. That's um, he, he was. That's Max. He was, yeah. That's Max for you. But, um, no, yeah, a, a lot of great points, um, especially on the knockout power and the volume, the gas tank. Uh, this very easily could be a very high-paced 25-minute fight. That is what these two bring in terms of the speed and the cardio. I think that uh, it, Max did mention that although he is a lot taller, his arms are not really longer than Frankie's. That is, so it's not like he's going to have that John Jones effect that we normally see. Um, when I see this fight play out, I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the defense of Max. I think that Frankie Edgar, he's going to try to use feints in a lot. And I think if you're Max Holloway, straight punches down the middle, hard jab, You've got to make him really just not want to come in. And then if you're Max, you want, like you said, high volume. You want to kind of pressure him. You want to make Frankie Edgar feel the presence. And one of the things that his biggest strength is is avoiding the damage. He's very good at getting in and out. He's just um, uh, – Tyron Woodley has said this other people. I think the Brian Ortega fight is the best example he is very good at staying in your face and then just slipping out of the way of your punches each time. Frankie Edgar is a lot faster. That being said, the height advantage is going to be his biggest deficit there. So I think that when I watch this fight, uh, Frankie Edgar faints, faints, faints. You've got to try to clinch him. You've got to try to take him down. You, got, you want to test his ground game. Obviously, Max is in one of those guys like Jose Aldo and others. You know people want to take away his striking, so he's good at getting back to the feet. But once again, you know, it, it, Max Holloway's gotten there for a reason. That height is going to be a lot. I think at the end of the day, Max does do a little more damage than Frankie Edgar. Uh, it's tough. I do see Frankie hanging in there with Max, but I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a Max Holloway fight. I have him... Unanimous decision. I think uh, Frankie's going to be tough, but Max is going to remind you why he's the king at 145. All right. Let's yep. see. Yep. <laughs> so we are two and two. We are in accordance with everything. Um, did you hear about this on Twitter this morning? Alexander Volkanovsky going from Australia to Edmonton to be the backup? I did. I actually saw it as well, and I thought, huh, <laughs> is that for real? Because I don't know, I didn't watch all the weigh-ins, so did he actually show up at the weigh-ins? Uh, well, he did, but here's the thing. So he talked about, um, I think, 37 hours. He was cutting weight, and um, he's 50, he was still 15 pounds over, so I think that's a sign more than anything that he did not expect, uh, you know, anything bad to happen at the last minute. But I found that very interesting because they did that very low-key. I feel like they would have let us know that, you know, I don't want to say that uh, that's the belief that they had that this fight would finally happen, but very interesting that they do it um, under the radar, which raises the next question. If Frankie beats Max, uh, instant rematch is no-brainer, but Volkanovski is next. Do you actually think that we'll get a Holloway versus Volkanovski in Australia this year? If, um, you know, let's say they go five rounds. Not too much damage, but still five rounds. Do you still think Max will make that turnaround to come back in October for the Australia card? Ooh, I don't know, man. That's a, that's a tight turnaround and with the travel. But Max is super game, and he's probably, he's probably very eager to just keep solidifying his, his reign at 145. I think he would be up for it. Um, has he fought in Australia before? I don't know. Um, can't I don't think so. And what I find ironic is he technically won't have to go backwards. I think that it's actually quicker to go from Hawaii to Australia right. than it is to go the other direction through going east from America. So I think that that's a very key thing is he's got a shorter flight than everybody to get there from his training camp. Yeah, and we know that's a great point, and we know that he loves to take advantage of whatever location he travels to. You see him on Embedded. 
seeing the sights. So I feel like he wouldn't want to pass up an opportunity to do that in Australia. Uh, it's it's uh, it's likely. I wouldn't say it's highly likely, but I think it's likely that he would be up for it for sure. I agree. My only thing about it is I always remember what happened last year with Brian Ortega and the 4th of July card pulling out and how we never got an answer. And it's like, Max, you know, you're great, but I just, I just want to be careful with you. You're a great talent. You're fun to watch. I, you know, I want to make sure you're getting your rest. I want to make sure you have a long career, you know. All these quick it's turnarounds true. with you kind of scare me. So that's yeah. my one thing about Max coming back for a third one in 2019. So, But, look, I'd be up for it. I'd also say on the calendar, I think that around that time they'll all, they booked Yair. They're doing a Moscow show where they want to book Zabit. I think they said Brian Ortega's coming back soon. So by the time he were to fight a Volkanovski, you'd also get a lot of movement in the featherweight division and, of course, likely some more clarity on 155 if he wants to go back in 2020. So I think that that's a good, good calendar, but be careful, Max. That's all I'm saying. If you want to wait for December in Las Vegas, I'm okay with that, too. You don't, you know. Yeah. No, don't that's a push fair it. point because I think um, it reminds me that every time I see him back for a fight when he's doing interviews, I'm, I'm actually like, consciously and subconsciously like scrutinizing his his speech and staring at his face and looking at his eyes to see how is he how is he looking because of of that incident and so i'm just sort of naturally you know always worried about him uh the same with like chris weidman after he got kneed by um romero i feel like he's kind of never looked the same in the eyes Mm -hmm. and so i'm always like scrutinizing extra hard when they do interviews but yeah that's a fair point and um and so, yeah, really, we'll, let's see how he looks after after Saturday. Yeah, and of course, you know, once again, that's another one. Next week, we'll be breaking down all of the action. We'll talk about any other bookings and stuff that we have going on. Next week's show, you'll see Newark, Colby Covington versus Robbie Lawler. Obviously, major welterweight title implications there. And the Colby Covington show is always a very unique one, to say the least. So we'll have a lot to talk about. Natalie, it is another fight-filled weekend. Where can the fans keep up with you to talk about all the action? Hit me up on Twitter at Rama 5 and the old website is thestraightpunch.com. Happy fighting. Awesome, guys. Remember, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>